Good morning. How are you guys? Great. I have a water bottle here that I grabbed out of the lost and found. If this is yours, I'm sorry. It is, uh, I forgot my water bottle today. And so you can come and get it from me afterwards. But please allow me to use it for the duration of the preach. And I promise I will get it back to you. Let's take 10 seconds just to be quiet. It's hard to be quiet and not get distracted. Did you know that the average person gets distracted 47% of the time? And so that means that for the duration of my preach, I intend to preach for about 20 minutes. You're going to get distracted for at least half of that. And so I'm going to ask, if at all possible, can you get distracted at home later with 10 minutes of something else so that you would be able to be focused this morning? Talking about distraction, I really don't like it when I'm driving and I see other people that are texting and driving. And it frustrates me so much that I have to say something about it. Eventually my wife would say, just let it go. You always text and drive anyway. And so I um, found myself the one day driving out in the morning and I got frustrated with somebody who was texting and driving. And then later that day I'm driving home and on my phone and I drift off into another lane and whoa, I quickly realized that I've gotten distracted. I come back, and I was like, oh my goodness, I felt the Holy Spirit just say, you got distracted too. And we all like to think that we are above distraction. But all of us get distracted in some way, shape, or form. I don't have to talk too much about it to know that you and I each get distracted. We're so busy with life and making things happen and slaving away at our jobs each day trying to find a spouse, trying to provide for your kids, trying to make money and hit that retirement goal, trying to find the right place and the right friends so that you can be happy. We're almost so distracted that attending church has become just that. We're just attending. Where would you say you are this morning in your walk with God? Would you say you are distracted, or would you say that you are devoted? Are you fully running the race that God has set for you, and so focused on the thing He's called you to do? Or would you say you are frustrated because you just can't seem to stay focused on what God has called you to do, or who He has called you to be? Are you struggling to stay focused on spending time with God and the things that matter? In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives this famous teaching that is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is such a practical and foundational way that Jesus expects in the daily life of a disciple. Part of why the Sermon on the Mount is so powerful is because of how Jesus flips the modern world upside down. When it comes to those people who hurt you, Jesus says, don't hurt them back. Love them by praying for them. And if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek and let them slap you again. And when you're saving money, don't keep material possessions on this earth. Rather, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. 
The Sermon on the Mount of Jesus' teaching is so fascinating and it is absolutely life-changing when one decides to radically obey the teachings of Jesus. It's very practical and it's a challenging message from Jesus. But one has to be careful not to look at the Sermon on the Mount or the teachings of Jesus and see it as such a high, unobtainable, reachable standard that Jesus has set of moral living. Because that's not what it is about. When we rightly understand the Sermon on the Mount, we actually see that there is a way that we can live out the kingdom in our daily life now. That we can walk in the presence and the power of God right now. That the kingdom of God is not something to live in later, but actually it's something to live in your daily life right now. Chapters 5 through to 7 up until verse 12, Jesus lays down the foundational way of practically following him. But by this point in the Sermon on the Mount, more people have joined. And Jesus is about to conclude his whole Sermon on the Mount by giving all those listening four choices that they have to make as a disciple of Jesus. But you see, these four choices that are given, it's not the type of choice where, hey, if you don't do this or do that and do that, you're going to get this trouble, this trouble, this trouble. It's not like a parent giving their child a choice. It's more so the type of choice if you're hiking through a mountain and you're on the path and you see signs indicating where the path should go. And then there's signs that indicate if you're in danger and you're off the path and you need to get back. Those are the types of decisions that Jesus is giving here. We see that those listening hear these four choices. They must choose between two gates and roads, two kinds of prophets, two kinds of disciples, and two kinds of foundations. Now, I would love it if we could just hit all of those this morning, but I feel verses 13 and 14 in chapter 7, the two gates and roads, that's where I feel like God wants us to pitch our tent this morning, and we're going to camp on this verse for a little bit. But I want to ask you something before we do that. Can I ask that as we open the Word of God today, will you allow yourself to be challenged by God's word? Will you be open to receiving what it is that God could be wanting to say to you today? We're going to start by um, reading verses 13 and 14. If you want to open your Bible, it will also be up on the screen. Jesus says, enter the narrow gate. Say narrow for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. You see, it's not very hard to see that Jesus is talking about two distinctive gates here. One is a wide and easy path, and the other is a narrow and a hard path. If we look at the gate that is narrow, it's narrow in the sense that only through Jesus do we go through to eternal life. There's no other thing that will lead to eternal life. It's only through Jesus. John 14 verse 6, that six says that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. 
And Acts 4 verse 12 says that, that there is no other name by which we will be saved than that of Jesus. And it's also a hard path. Not that it's difficult to find Jesus, but it's hard in the essence that you're on a journey of following him and being obedient to his transforming work in your life. When God says go this way, the whole world is going that way. And it's hard to follow the path of God while it's easier to follow the path of man. And we see that the narrow gates and the way that is hard leads to eternal life, eternity with God. But then there's this other gate that's wide and easy. And it's wide meaning that many will enter this gate. To put it practically, anything other than Jesus leads to the wide gate. And it's easy. It's an easy road to walk. As the ESV Study Bible puts it, it says, <clears throat> sorry, as the ESV Study Bible puts it, it's easier seeking the approval of man rather than God. And so that means that the wide gates and the easy path is not a challenging path to walk on. No one's challenging you to overcome your sin. No one's challenging you to make better decisions. You can make whatever destructive decision you want to make in your life as long as it makes you happy. That is what the easy way looks like. And we see that this way leads to destruction. It leads to eternal punishment and separation from God for all eternity. And you know, friends, the more time I spend in this text examining my heart and and looking at our lives, I feel there is a message that is so important and so serious that we need to focus on today. Are we distracted or are we devoted? The first thing I want us to see when we read that is there are, there are those of us who have found the narrow gate, but we are dis distracted by what's happening on the wide path. And what do I mean by this? Well, I mean that a lot of us have become distracted and lost our devotion to Jesus. There's been a genuine heart change. You've repented of your sins and you live for God in your daily life. But you've become distracted by what's happening on the wide path. It seems like there's better job opportunities on the wide path. It seems like there's quicker options for a spouse on the wide path. She doesn't have to be a follower of Jesus to be my spouse or he. We see that life is easier on the wide path. The narrow path is just too hard and tiresome. I just don't feel like being challenged anymore. And we become so distracted into thinking about the wide path. For a moment, let's think about what is distracting you if this is you. What's distracting you from spending time with God? And don't say you're busy. You make time for the things you value. What's distracting you from seeking God's will for your life? I was chatting with someone this morning, and I want to change that. What's distracting you from actually stepping into the will of God for your life? Because some of us, we know the will of God for our lives, but it's not what I want. And so I'd rather live my own will for my life. 
What's distracting you and causing you to consider decisions that aren't those type of decisions that Jesus would have you make? Are you distracted or are you devoted? Point number two, there are those of us who believe we have found the narrow gate, but we are actually walking on the wide path. Some of us consider ourselves a Christian, but we're walking on the wide path. The Bible never teaches that a person can be a genuine follower of Jesus, yet still walk in wickedness and sin all the days of their life. Paul Washer, an American preacher, he says in a sermon he preached back in 2006, he says that many will argue that because I prayed a prayer one time and let Jesus into my heart, then I'm saved. And whenever I doubt, I'm just encouraged to remember that day I prayed that prayer and I'll be okay. Do you know that the Bible doesn't teach that? The Bible doesn't say, I will know if I am saved if I have a date in my calendar that shows when I prayed that prayer of accepting Jesus into my life. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. How you live your life should look very different to the way the world lives their life. You know that coming to Connect Group on a Tuesday, whichever day you have it, and talking about Jesus, and then coming to church and singing a song about Him, does not determine you are a Christian if the rest of your week looks no different to that of the world. The Bible doesn't say you're a disciple of Jesus if you attend prayer meetings, if you pay your tithe and you give to the poor, but when you step out of the church building, that person looks so different or does not look any different to that of the world. Let's imagine Jesus teaching this text for a moment. You're sitting there with the disciples on the ground and there's a whole bunch of other people around you and you feel good because you're sitting next to Peter and Paul, uh, Peter and Andrew. And Jesus turns and he looks at you and he says, Thistles, do you find thistles on a fig tree? And you say, no, Jesus. Everyone knows we're not farmers, but you can't find thistles on a fig tree. And he says, well, then what about thorns? Do you find figs on a thorn tree or good fruit on a thorn tree? And you say, well, no, Jesus, don't be silly. Everyone knows you can't find thorns on a fig tree or figs on a thorn tree. And anyone that tells you that, Jesus, they would just either be lying to you or they would be insane. And Jesus looks back at you and he says, well, then, those who would call themselves my disciples, would it not be the same if they bear bad fruit to call them liars or insane? Let me take this story up a little bit. Imagine I was late this morning. I ran up onto the stage. I just started preaching. And Noel and Sudge are so angry at me saying, why are you late? You get given this opportunity to preach and you're late. Why are you late? And I say, well, guys, this morning I was driving down Old Kale and I got a flat tire. So I proceeded to pull over. I began to change the tire. And one of the wheel nuts had fallen off and rolled out into the middle of the road. And not focusing, I run over, I pick up the wheel nuts, and as I look up, there's a 10-ton truck coming at me so fast, no time to slow down, and it just completely wipes me out. And guys, I'm sorry, but that's why I'm late. 
you would look at me with two logical explanations. Either I am lying or I'm crazy. You would look at me and say, Dylan, it is impossible to have such an encounter with something so massive and not be permanently changed. And I ask you, what is bigger, a 10-ton truck or the one and true living God? How can we say we've had an encounter with the one true living God and our lives have not changed? When the world looks at my life, does it look like theirs or does it look different? My friends, I'm not preaching religion to you today. I am opening the word of God that we would see that when you follow Jesus and have an encounter with him, your life is changed. This is a moment where we get to realize, have I become so distracted by the world, living like the world, doing as the world does, hoarding money like the world does, sleeping around like the world does? Or is my life changing? That when people look at my life, they think, wow, you're weird. You're, you're a Christian. You're weird. People have said to me, I'm weird. And I don't care. Because I know it's not just this life. Are you distracted or are you devoted to Jesus? Point number three. There are those of us who have not yet found the narrow gate. There are some sitting here today who you've been sitting in church seats for years. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you've heard tons of messages about Christianity and Jesus, and you know the story all too well. But you haven't actually found and encountered the narrow gate, which is Jesus. I want you to know that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can save your soul outside of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the? No one comes to the Father except through? Quite possibly, you might not even know that you are distracted. Maybe you don't even know that Satan has led you along the wrong path. Robin and I have a friend who at a younger age, she had become super aware of the spiritual realm and actually being able to spiritually help people heal. And unfortunately, our friend was led down the wrong path and became involved in the occult and evil practices like that. Then our friend went on holiday and had this crazy encounter with God that led to their salvation and to their baptism. And their life is so different it is so different. This is the most important thing I want to say to you today. Is that no matter how far gone you think you are. No matter how much you think you've done. Your distraction is not greater than the grace of God. God is waiting for you to stop being distracted and see the narrow gate today. For far too long. You've been distracted 
And God is calling you to the narrow gate right now. If you need to come and chat to me afterwards, please do. But I want you to hear these words. And when I say them, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit rises in your heart and absolutely wipes you out in your seat. Is that there is no other name by which you can be saved. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. You know that in the word distraction, we find the word action in there. And I believe that there are actions we do that cause to distract us and move us away from the narrow gate. But therefore, there are actions we do that help devote us and move towards the narrow gate. So there's actions that move us away and actions that move us towards. A little later in Matthew 19, Jesus is approached by this young man. It's called the story of the rich young ruler. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do? What good things should I do to enter into eternal life? And Jesus says to him, just keep all the commandments. And with a bit of a pride in his step, he's like, well, Jesus, I've been doing that since I was a youth. What else do I lack? What, I, what else should I do? And he says, as he looked at him, Jesus knew he was a wealthy man. And so Jesus says, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the word says that upon hearing this, the young man turned away in great sorrow and grief because he had great possessions. Jesus knows that a love for this world and the things in this world will distract us from the narrow gate. It will lead us away onto the wide path. Are you ready to lose it all that you would gain Jesus? What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, yet forfeited his soul? The word is not saying that you cannot have wealth and that you cannot have things in this world. The word is saying that those who are ready to lose it all and give it up and follow Jesus are truly his disciples. I don't want you to get this wrong. Don't confuse this. There are blessings that God gives us in this life. But am I chasing after this world more? on a priority than I am chasing after my devotion to Jesus? Am I ready to give up the things in this world? Am I ready to give up my job because my kids need me? Am I ready to stop chasing money because I've been living a life of destruction? Am I ready to break off that relationship because the person does not know Jesus and because actually it's leading me towards destruction. Am I ready to let go of this world and follow Jesus to stop being distracted and devote myself to him? There is this amazing analogy that Francis Chan uses and I absolutely love it. Picture this rope represented eternity, okay? 
And as you can see, it doesn't end. Now picture this rope just goes all around the room and it never, never ends. As you can see, I'll just, I'll keep pulling and I'll keep going and I'll keep going. Tell me when you've had enough and I'll carry on and I'll keep going and I'll keep, and it just doesn't end. This rope represents eternity. And you see this little orange part here? That represents mine and your life on earth. And I'm afraid, my friends, and I'm not trying to put this on, I am afraid that we have become so distracted that we only think about this and we have forgotten about all of this. I've become so distracted by the entertainment of this world that I only think about this. You know the average person spends nine hours a week watching TV. That's nine years in one lifetime. Nine years glued to a TV. You know what's crazy as well? Is that this, uh, this is going to be a little bit funny, but I want you to go with me. Is we think, cool, I'm going to save, 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 save right here so that I can enjoy this little piece right over there. I'm, I'm going to live my life and however I want to live it right like this so that I can enjoy it. And then when I'm over here, maybe I'll consider following Jesus. Maybe it'll be worth it then. I'm going to work, 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 work hard, hard, as hard as I can. And then maybe over here, I'll spend some time with my kids. You see that the actions that we live in this life directly flows and impacts all of this. And I really mean when I say that I feel like we've become so distracted and all we think about is this. We have forgotten about the narrow gate and we've become so focused on the wide gate. You see, because there's actions that move us away from the narrow gate, there are actions that move us towards the narrow gate. And it's so simple. It is so simple. I wish I could give you a list of 10 things to do, but I'm not here to teach you a fancy new trick about Jesus. I'm only 26 years old. There's nothing new that we can teach. We're just reminding what God is calling us to live. But the one thing that you can do that will actually move you towards devotion, hear me when I say this and get ready to write it down, radical devotion to God's word. Radically obedient to the teachings Jesus has for you and for me. It's so simple. When we look at the word of God and study the life of the disciples, there's one thing that stands out is that they all made a radical abandonment to this world to follow Jesus. Constantly being transformed by the sanctification of Christ. Meditating on his word day and night. Take a moment to think about your life. Are you just living for that? Or are you living so that this life impacts this? Are you distracted? Or are you devoted? I can't express more 
how important it is, the life that we live now, the decisions we make now. Let's look at what Jesus says in his third, word, uh, his, uh, his third choice that he gives us in verses 21 to 23. If we can put it up on the screen. This is what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the, the what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Knowing Jesus' name is not enough. Knowing Jesus' name does not mean I go to heaven. Jesus even goes on further to say that even doing many great things in my name is not enough. It's not about knowing Jesus' name. It's about Jesus knowing you. Does he know you? And the way he knows you is by being the one who does the will of my Father. Have you become distracted from the will of the Father? You see, distraction says, I know about Jesus, but my life is so busy that I'll lean on Jesus when I have the time and when I think I need him. But devotion says, Jesus knows me, and my life is different because he knows me, and I count all distraction in this world meaningless compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. It is meaningless. By the time we come to the end of this life, we will all stand before Jesus. And how we live life will directly impact all of this. Is your life spent devoted to the will of the Father or is your life spent distracted by all the things this world has to offer? And I can see there's a couple of teenagers in the room. You're so distracted by social media, so allowing that to fill and shape your mind. And not even just the youth in the room, even us as adults. I constantly have to delete Instagram off my phone because it distracts me. Are we ready to abandon this world and the love for it mainly that we would hold fast to Jesus in radical devotion to him. Can the band please come up and the communion elements will begin to be handed out. We're going to go into a time of communion now. If you wouldn't mind standing with me. And as we go into communion, you see, we, we don't just do this rhythm part of the Christian life just because it's a good thing to do or because, hey, let's do something special. We actually do this because Jesus says, when you do this, you are reminded of my body given for you and you are reminded of my blood poured out for you on the cross.
when we leave today, do we just carry on with a life that looks very much the same of the world? Or do we leave here so transformed and convicted and challenged to go out and live a life of radical abandonment and devotion to Jesus? You know that people have looked at me and said, I'm crazy for making the decisions I make. Because it doesn't make sense to this world. Your life is not supposed to make sense to this world. It's because you're not living for this world. You're living for eternity. It's time for you to stop being so distracted by this life. So focused on these things that are momentary. C.S. Lewis writes, I think it's C.S. Lewis, he says, this life will soon be past and only what's done for Christ will last. Do my actions represent that I am distracted or do my actions represent that I am devoted? And the thing is, I don't want you to walk out of here today and feel like, oh, I'm such a nonsense. I'm pathetic. Because that's not what this is. This is a reminder, a strengthening, an empowering that you would walk out of here today and go and live a life devoted to For those who know Jesus, but you're distracted by the wide path, I want you to know that there is grace for you to be devoted again to Jesus. And those who believe that they, that they are Christians, but your life doesn't look different to the world, I'm not here to judge you or slander you or make you feel bad. I asked you in the beginning, would you allow the word of God to speak into your heart? God is speaking into your heart and saying, it's no longer about ticking the box. I don't just want you to attend these things. I want you to be radically devoted to my teachings. I want your life to look different. You know what it is that distracts you. So we're going to take communion now. And as we do this, we are going to be so reminded of 2,000 plus years ago when Jesus' body was given up for you and for me because we deserve that rightful place. We cannot save our own souls only by the name of Jesus. And His body was given for you and for me. And so when we eat this wafer, it reminds us of Jesus stepping into the gap for you and taking the place where you should have been. And as we drink the juice, we're reminded of Jesus' blood poured out for our sin. That the wrath of God was destined for you. But Jesus stepped in the gap that we would not spend eternity in hell but that those who call on the name of the Lord and believe in their hearts that Christ was raised from the dead and confess with their mouth that He is Lord, those will be saved. To go out and live a life where Jesus is transforming and changing me on a daily basis. So let's do that together. Jesus, right now we, we eat of your body to remind ourselves of your body given for us. 
Lord, as we drink this little cup of grape juice, it is so much more than that. We are reminded this morning of your blood poured out on the cross for us. Of saving us. That your grace empowers us to stop being distracted and coming back to the narrow gate of being devoted. We drink this in remembrance of you.